Well, I invite you, in in light of what we have just heard, uh, to open your copy of God's Word to Psalm 19. And as we come to God's Word today, and as we read Scripture, I just want to encourage you to keep in mind that question that we've heard multiple times today, which is, where else should we go? Christ alone has the words of eternal life. We see those words as we read today. When you've gotten to uh, Psalm 19, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's perfect word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the privilege to know Your Word, to come to Your Word today together. And we ask, Lord, that even now You would show us Your grandeur, show us Your perfection, show us Your salvation. And even with a a great, right fear and awe of You, we ask that today, You would show us Your glory through Your Word, by Your Spirit. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. One of the greatest gifts that I have ever received was an old tape recorder and a cassette tape of a fantastic song sung by a terrible singer. In high school, as a younger Christian... I was arriving at a season in my life that I hope many students arrive at, which is when you realize there are people who have known Jesus a lot longer than I have, 
and who have incredible things to say and understandings about Jesus. And so for me, as, as a younger Christian in high school, I was all about like the, you know, the Christian rock, the more edgy kind of Christian music. And I, uh, I discovered um, in my life, I, I grew up at a church where we sang hymns, but there were still um, a lot of hymns that I didn't know. And so I discovered this book of hymns and I started reading them and I was, I was amazed. I was like, wow, these words are incredible, incredible things that these old, old hymns say about the goodness of God and the glory of Christ. And I loved talking to my papa about these hymns, my grandfather, who grew up here, well, who grew up hearing these hymns. He didn't, wasn't a believer until much later in his life, but um, he, he knew all of these old hymns. And so it was always fun for me to come to him and say, hey, have you heard of this hymn? It's called The Church's One Foundation. It's and he'd be like, of course. And it was just a great conversation to have with him and a great discipleship opportunity. My favorite hymn in high school wasn't really that old, it's 1922, but it's called I'd Rather Have Jesus. And you may well may have heard this, this uh, hymn. And it's just a, it's pretty simple. It's just about how Jesus is better than anything else. One year for Christmas, I opened in front of my Christmas tree a present and inside was a tape recorder, and my papa had recorded himself singing, I'd rather had Jesus. He is not a good singer. And his piano, it was not a great piano. I opened it, and I listened to the whole song, Best Gift Ever. It wasn't that I had received an old tape recorder with a random crummy singer attempting to sing an old hymn. I received a gift from a man who I really loved and looked up to about my Savior, who had changed and was even then changing my life. As we get older, gifts are so much more than just the thing itself. It's really more about what the gift communicates, about the relationship between the giver and the receiver. See, a gift tells a story. With a gift, you're able to say something, to to tell a story about how you know and enjoy and love someone. As we turn to our text today, we see that God, the, the great giver, who delights in giving to his people not only things, not only presents, but the greatest gift of knowing him better by revealing himself through his works. Knowing God is an ever-increasing progression of delight. Why? Because He's infinite God. And the great thing about our God is that we never run out of more glory to learn and know about Him. God's gift of revealing Himself tells a true story. A story which, if you were to look into it and believe it, would change your own story radically for many of us that's our testimony so as we look into this beautiful text today i want us to see three incredible distinct stories and the first thing we see is the glory of god and the story of creation this is one through two the heavens declare the glory of god the sky above proclaims his handiwork Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. 
The heavens are telling a story. The sky is telling a story about the glory of God. And I love in this text that it's the sky above that proclaims his handiwork. Isn't it right that one way we see the story of God's glory is to look upwards and to see something that is physically above and beyond us? God's glory is so much greater here than, than, than you and your own little world that you become so perplexed and consumed by. His glory is greater. You look up and the story that the skies and the heavens are declaring is God did that. He created this. The sky proclaims His handiwork. What God has made demonstrates His glory. And there is, in, the, in just these few short verses here, there are these qualities, these aspects about the story that the heavens are telling that we see. And the first thing we see when it says the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above proclaim His handiwork. First thing we see is there's no shame in their story. There's no shame. They pro- declare, they proclaim. We can learn a lot from the heavens. How often do you feel the need, the temptation even, to temper the glory of God when you talk about Him? I don't want to seem too overeager here. I find yourself worried about what your coworker or your neighbor or your friend will think if you were to exult in the true glory of God, we can be so tempted to shrink the grandeur of God to be a little more palatable for our narrow preferences. Now, I'm not saying that in any given conversation, you can tell and recount the whole counsel of God that on your way out to your car at the end of the day with your coworker, you can chronicle the entire narrative of redemptive history. No, every gospel opportunity is one to be seized, even if it's short. I'm saying, the Word is saying, that you are not given the authority to abridge the glory and grandeur of God. God doesn't need you to make His radiance less bright. He doesn't need you to make him more acceptable to his own creation. See, the heavens teach us something about how we talk about God in this story. When the heavens declare God's glory, they're unashamed. The heavens and the skies, they're not sheepish. They're not skirting around the truth and the glory of God. They're shouting it. Oh, that we would learn from them goes on, verse 2, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now the skies, the creation here, it's not actually verbally talking. It's kind of one of his points here. They're, they're not actual words the same way that we would talk. They're a silent proclaimer. And yet in their silence, they are loud. Their silent testimonies are endless anthems. And I love this. It says, day to day pours out speeches. It's like it's gushing forth. Night to night reveals knowledge. It tells a story and it reveals something 
about the main character. They're loud. It's like creation can't stay silent. And Scripture across the board is, is, uh, tells this story as well. In Isaiah 55, it talks about how the hills and the, the, um, the plains, they break forth into singing, the trees clapping at the coming of God and the procession of His people. Creation can't stay silent about its Creator. Verse 2, notice that it doesn't just say day pours out speech or night pours out speech. It says day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. It's not just a day. It's day to day. It's another day. It's a, it's a continuation. When I go to lay down my two-year-old, Peter, at night, he does this thing sometimes. It's really interesting. Just bedtime, we're like laying him into his crib, and, and he starts to talk quickly, and he basically catalogs everything that just happened in his day. He just like goes through everything. But it's not just what did happen. The way he frames it is he, it's like he's planning with such excitement and anticipation to do it all again the next day. So the conversation sounds something like this. He lay him down and he said something like, Daddy, tomorrow we go outside? Tomorrow we play with toys? Tomorrow we see friends? Tonight he'll probably say, tomorrow we go church? It's, it's, It's the same thing. In other words, he wants to do everything that he just did this day again. And he can't wait to wake up and to do it again. Whereas for me... I find myself dreading my alarm clock a little bit. I want to get a little more sleep, and he's longing for it. I, he wakes up and says, oh, we get to do it again. And I wake up, and I'm like, oh, okay, got to do it again. Now, if you know any small kids, especially toddler, if you've been around toddlers at all, they can kind of wear you out on the agains. Do it again, do it again. I don't miss hearing me. I, I love them so much it, but yes, they can wear you out on the agains. Personally, I get tired of singing Old MacDonald again and again and again. But you wiser parents have warned me, and, and I, you've said, enjoy those encores, because there will be a day when you long for them again. So I try to heed your advice and enjoy the 56th verse of Old MacDonald <laughs> the next day again. There's a clarity here, though, that my son sees that I miss. God's glory shines in the agains. There are agains that you take for granted in your life that are actually pouring out speech and revealing knowledge about who God is. And some of them are as simple as another day. You woke up to your alarm clock today. Again, and you did it yesterday and the day before that. Again, you just celebrated a new year. God sustained you for a whole nother year. That's 365 again. Again and again, day to day. Every alarm clock you wake up to each morning, as loud and obnoxious as it is in the morning, is declaring to you, He did it again. Don't miss God's glory in the agains. And the psalm here has this 
kind of shifts, speaking of mourning, to this longer metaphor about the sun, that the sun is like a bridegroom. It rises and it sets and it's declaring the glory of God. Creation's story of God's glory here, it describes it as joyful. Look at verse 5. Like a strong man, the sun, it runs its course with joy. In other words, the sun delights in doing what God created it to do. Joyfulness in this story. And finally, the story that the heavens are declaring are to the ends of the earth. The heaven's voice, like this, the sun's, it says it goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. The sun's beams go to the ends of the earth. I'm really thankful that's a phrase we use around here a lot, ends of the earth. We talk about ends of the earth a lot. Last, this past year, our, kind of our banner over the year was, As You Go, Make Disciples. And the logo, which I'm really thankful to Adam York, by the way, for all the thought he, effort he puts into those logos and the, the kind of the vision behind them. But the logo for As You Go, Make Disciples was a, a world. It was a globe, a planet. We are to go to the ends of the earth with the story of God's glory too as revealed not just in creation, but in Christ. The ends of the earth includes the opposite side of the globe, but it also includes your next-door neighbor, your co-worker, this city, Kentucky, the United States, the ends of the earth. And as a church, we must continue to have this commitment. This Christ-centered mission must be our heartbeat. We go to the ends of the earth because there are people there. Where the Son's voice speaks, we will speak. Where the Son preaches the glory of God, we will preach the glory of God. Where the Son warms the earth and gives light, we will proclaim the good news of Christ that cold, hard hearts might live, and that blind eyes might see. May we go wherever the sun touches and wherever there are ears to hear. But even as you read this psalm, there seems to be a really sharp transition in this moment. In fact, it's hardly, it may seem like it's hardly a transition at all. You have these beautiful, elegant tones with metaphors to boom, the law of the Lord. You kind of wonder, what, was David just suddenly distracted? Could he, was he not able to kind of keep his thoughts that these have been like separate psalms? Why do we leave God's glory to immediately talk about God's law? And that's kind of the point. We don't. We don't stop talking about God's glory. Rather, we see deeper into it. We marvel in the fact that the heavens don't have actual words but that they still proclaim God's glory. But for all that the heavens and the skies proclaim about the glory of God, it gets even better. God has given us actual words to us. We can know them and we can know Him personally. And this is signaled by a really important change here in the text. In verse 1, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the, the word here is, is, is El. It, it refers to, uh, the Hebrew word refers to deity or a, a sovereign God of creator, kind of a, a general term of the God of all creation. And He is that. But verse 7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, 
That's all caps Lord. That's, that means Yahweh, the covenant personal name of God that he has revealed to his people. Now, these aren't two gods. It's emphasizing that the word of God, his law, his testimonies, precepts, commands, rules, these uniquely reveal God's glory in a way that the creation isn't able to. Verse 7 through 9, we see this sort of parallel structure, this setup that happens over and over. And each section is describing the word or the revelation of God. Look, it says the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments, the fear of, of the Lord, the rules. Which one is it? It's the testimonies, the law, the rules? And the answer is, well, yes, it's, it's that all, all of these are various aspects of the counsel of God. God's revealed word. It's how God has communicated his actual personal character with us beyond creation. Specifically, it's how God has revealed his covenant story with his people, which is why he uses his covenant name here. It's God's word. And we read these verses in light of Christ. This is referring to the scripture, specific revealed story of God for his people. What, what you have in your lap right now. And the setup for each of these synonyms of God's word is, is this description of God's word. We kind of think about this together. God's word is perfect, literally whole, complete, without blemish. This is actually the same word that's used in Leviticus to describe a perfect and whole sacrifice that's given to the Lord. God's word is sure, meaning it's faithful, it's right, right, meaning a, a right or a straight path or way. It's pure. Clean, it's radiant. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. This idea of fear of the Lord, fear and reverence and awe that the Scripture produces in us as we read this story. God's Word and the fear of God endures forever. Isn't it incredible that the story of God, the Word of God that you're holding even now, has challenged and convicted, and comforted, and delighted saints, not just for a few years, not even for decades, but for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. These kinds of descriptions are, are different than the skies in creation. Because the word story, though it's a continuation of God's glory, is distinct. It reveals the depths of God's character uniquely. Now, at this point, I could tell you, so, Ashland, let's go. Let's get to that reading. I could turn this into like a read your Bible pep talk. But that's not what this is. And that's not what this psalm is doing. It's not just calling, it's not just, it's not just simply calling you to do something differently. It's calling you to see something differently that affects your doing. See, what happens is that we naturally live in this, in this world where we are so consumed by our own little stories. We, and we live in a world that surrounds us with a narrative that says, yes, it tells us to do that. You do you. It's all about you. Do what makes you happy. And so you see everyone and everything 
through the lens of your, your own story and preferences and world. You assess what's valuable and what's not and what you'll make time for and what you won't through the lens of you because you are naturally in our sin at the center of our own story, the center of your own life. But Scripture tells a different story. Scripture, it tells a story that frees you from being the center, which you were never created to be. It calls you to center everything on the Word, on the character of God. We, even followers of Jesus, find ourselves, though, saying, but, ah, but I, don't, I don't have time for that. The whole like Bible plan and the reading plan and reading consistently, all that sounds great, but if I set aside time in my already busy schedule, too busy schedule, I'll just, I'll feel overwhelmed. I'll be more stressed. My day will be even more crazy. And then we don't read the Bible and then we feel guilty and we read the Bible even less. It's this cycle. But when you buy into his story, when you come to his story, when the thirsty drink from this stream, this is what God's word says. Look with me in verses seven through nine. This is what God's Word does. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It leads us to fear the Lord, which doesn't change in various circumstances. It endures forever. The law, the word, it reveals the character of God. But there's something similar that I hope you see here. Sure, it means faithful, pure, and clean, righteous altogether, completely righteous, right, or the straight way, true, the truth, perfect, complete, without blemish, like a pure sacrifice to God. In these descriptions, do you hear echoes not only of the law, but of the one who perfectly fulfills the law? You hear the echoes of Christ. God's character is revealed in His Word and in Scripture. And God also revealed Himself by sending His Son to become flesh and to dwell among us. This is the Word of God whom the Scriptures center on. To read the Scripture is to read His story, is to see His perfection, to see that Christ is the center. This doesn't mean that when you read the Bible, when you read the Scripture, if you have a Bible reading plan, it, it, this is not to say that you read the Bible to, to get an emotional rush. Reading the Bible isn't a good luck charm. It doesn't guarantee that you won't forget things or you won't struggle at work or that you won't, that, that it doesn't promise that you have perfect family relationships. It's, it's, <laughs> You know, it doesn't promise that your kids will be perfect little angels and that your toddler won't spit up on you while your toddler is trying to jump off the kitchen table. It doesn't promise a suspension of reality. That's not how it works. And it doesn't even promise to come to the Bible. That doesn't even guarantee that you won't struggle to read the Bible and be, have to be disciplined in reading it. 
It doesn't mean, and it doesn't even mean that you always see the, the, him as glorious, but that's the point of verse nine. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You read the scripture not to have some extra truth sprinkled onto your story, but because scripture tells you the true story of the world, even when you don't feel like it's true. That's why this isn't a mere pep talk to read your Bible. It's a call and a pleading for you to come and to drink deeply of endless streams of pleasures and delight in the person of Jesus as you come to His Word. You who are thirsty, come and drink. You who are weary, come and rest. You who don't even know what story to believe, come and listen to the true story. Verse 10, it says this is to be desired more than gold and honey. It's like honey straight from the honeycomb. It's not a, a jar of honey that sat in your cupboard and become congealed. It's, it's, a, it's a flowing honey from the honeycomb. It's fresh and it's new. One last thing. If you find yourself longing for that to be your story, longing for, I want to see the glory of God in the Scripture like that, but I struggle to. What do I do when I don't see the glory of God in the Scripture? What what do I... if, If you find yourself there today, let me encourage you with something. If you can't see the glory of God in the Scripture, don't stop looking. Don't stop looking. And bear your soul to God. Lay out your heart to God. He's not afraid of your doubts and your fears and your inability to see the glory of God. Share, bear your soul with Him. Be honest and real with Him. Don't quit hearing and listening the true story of the Word. It's true in every season of our lives. It meets us where we are. As the psalm reaches his conclusion, there's one more kind of sharp, somewhat sudden turn. So imagine this. David is, is writing this psalm. And he looks up and he sees the incredible night sky. Or, or maybe he sees the sun rising like a bridegroom leaving its chamber. And he's uh, marveling at the glory of God. And then he reads, as he reads the story of God's glory in the skies, he goes on to think about how incredible it is that he has the Word of God and can know the, the words of God, personally know God. Now what does this all then mean for David? And what does it mean for us? Because we see here the first person is used for the first time in the psalm at the end. Look at verse 12. So we're talking about the law in verse 11. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them, the law, there is great reward. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Meaning his own errors. Who can discern his own errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. It's like David suddenly realizes in this moment Pressing awareness of, I need more than the sun. I need more than the creation. That's what he's saying. I need, and, and David sees the grandeur of God in the sky and creation and the perfection of God and his law. And he realizes, I'm not always perfectly there. Verse 12 and 13, it says, verse 13, it says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. An innocent of great transgression. David knows that there is and has been sin in his life. 
that he doesn't even realize. Things he hasn't even thought about and he's praying the Lord would keep him from that. And, and then he also feels the temptation to sin presumptively against God. In other words, those are when you act arrogantly and proudly and intentionally, you live in rebellion against God and His ways. David knows the power that sin can have and the crazy lies that it can get you to believe. He goes so far as to say, let them not have dominion over me. This is not just a nice thing to say. This isn't a help me be a good person. No, this is war for his soul. And it's war for your soul. The enemy trembles when God's people come to God's Word. The enemy, he's not on your side. He doesn't want to help you with your time management by convincing you to not read the Word of God. The enemy wants to cut you off from the true story of the world, to turn you inward and to thus have dominion over you. You need the true story to come to Scripture each day in humility and worship. And then the last verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love this. It's not, notice it's not just the heavens or, or the sun, but now he says, my own words, let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What could be a better prayer for your 2023? 20, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And you may hear this and say, yes, yes, but... My words and my heart's meditations aren't there. They're not that. The sight of the glorious, perfect God of the universe, I am a man of unclean lips. But do you see that verse 12 through 14 isn't saying that David is without faults or sin. It's saying that he needs God to keep him. The end of Psalm 19 is mounting to our place of ultimate hope. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. His hope's not in himself, but in the cleansing and transformative powers of the redeemer. And that's why he is praying like this at the end of the psalm. Our perfect God is not merely perfect. He's a redeemer of the imperfect. This year, you don't come to God's Word to trust your piety or even your discipline. You come to God's Word because He is your only hope. It's not an obligation. It's your greatest need and your greatest hope, your greatest joy, not in your work, but in His Do we have the same message as the skies and the sun? Is, is our, your, my story the same as the creation's or is it a different one? Well, on the one hand, the skies, the heavens are telling the glory of God and we do too. 
We, we get to do the, the same thing that creation is doing. But I want you to hear something incredible. The skies know God's glory, but we know His name. We know His name. That's how we personally know His glory. He is Yahweh, Father, Jesus, Redeemer. He has redeemed us. He has saved those who would have faith in the name of Jesus and His cross, the empty tomb. We know Him uniquely as His people, His children, His redeemed. What a gift you have been given. See what this gift says about how the giver loves you? That's the story of the gift. See, David knew something that you need to know too. Every day of your life, God is a God of agains. Day to day reminds you of this. But there will be a day when you will not awaken to your alarm clock. Death will meet each one of us. And your only hope for eternal life is found in Christ. And that true story is written here. A day will come when you will not awaken to your alarm clock. You will awaken to a trumpet. And then... Brothers and sisters, the skies that have declared the glory of God for thousands of years will break into a new song and they will split as the Word of God incarnate descends from the heavens with swift righteous judgment for His enemies and the true bridegroom, not the son of our own little solar system and world, but the son of God will leave his chamber and will come to reclaim his bride, his church, and will take us home to dwell with him forever. Oh, that the word of God would be precious to us this year. That we would hear and read and tell this story again and again and again until the day when all of our agains are made new. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that You have delighted and saw fit to reveal Yourself to us as fallen and as imperfect and as broken as we are, thank You that in Your goodness and Your love and Your mercy and Your grace, that You came to us to set us free from the dominion of sin. And Lord, even as we look forward to a year, forward to a year to come to Your Word again, we pray that You would come quickly, Lord Jesus. We might see You with our eyes and rejoice in the gift that You have given us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for His glory. Amen.